In this episode, we are moving on from the Nazis in French fashion versus German fashion. We are headed south to another fashionable country that just so happens to be shaped like a boot. Italy is home to one of the big four major fashion cities, Milan, which has its own fashion week. However, other cities such as Florence, Venice, Rome, and Naples are hubs for luxury goods, and that's just a few of them. I even learned that sometimes it's referred to as the Big Five, with Rome taking a seat at the table. Before Paris, France became the pinnacle of fashion starting in the 17th century, thanks to Louis the Great, aka Louis XIV, Italy had the title starting back in the 11th century. Today, Italy is still known for their craftsmanship when it comes to their leather goods and the quality of their textiles. I have some Italian cotton that I purchased for Move Fabrics, and the hand of it is amazing. It's the best cotton I've ever felt. Just as a side note, if you're able to, I recommend shopping for clothes in person as much as possible so you can actually touch it and look at the quality. A lot of non-Italian fashion brands and labels get at least some of their garments and accessories manufactured in Italy. When it comes to fashion and other wearables, Italy does not play. They refine techniques, which is why you hear of people passing down leather handbags to generation after generation. There are so many talented Italian fashion designers, such as Mucha Prada, and you'll probably guess she has connections to Prada. She is co-CEO with her husband and the head designer. If you watched the last season of Euphoria, Letsy Howard, played by Maude Apatow, was costumed in a lot of Miu Miu, which is the Prada subsidiary that is more contemporary. I wouldn't consider them a bridge or the fusion line seen as the brand holds its own, but I can see how others may see it as one. You may have seen the low-rise khaki miniskirt worn by many models and celebrities. This is a product of Miu Miu. You, of course, have your Italian labels such as Veragamo, Versace, and Roberto Cavalli. What label do you think is the most well-known? If you are listening on Spotify, I added a question so that you can answer. Feel free to tweet me or leave a comment on Facebook or Instagram of what you think it is. In my opinion, the most well-known label, at least in the United States, is Gucci. Welcome to Most Fashionable Crime, a fashion-related true crime podcast hosted by me, Taryn. This season's theme is house. If you want to be on trend, make sure to sign up for the newsletter, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow the podcast on Twitter at Most Fashionable, and on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Most Fashionable Crime. There's a discussion group on Facebook and a Reddit community, which are both linked in the notes. Thank you so much to the people that are always trending, which are the supporters of this podcast. I appreciate you all so much. And if you want to support too, there is a link in the notes. You can support Most Fashionable Crime for free by sharing this podcast with anyone that you think may like it. Leave it a five-star rating and or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and listen and engage with Most Fashionable Crime on social media. While you're listening right now, go ahead and share that you are to your Instagram story. I'm breaking the house of Gucci into two episodes because it's a very messy and unkept house, at least historically. I've read two books about Gucci and the Gucciites. The first one was House of Gucci, a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour, and greed by Sarah Gay Borden. That portion of Gucci's history will be discussed in next week's episode. If you have not watched House of Gucci the movie, I recommend watching it before the next episode because I will be mentioning parts of it, but I will try to be as descriptive as possible. The second book that I read was In the Name of Gucci by Patricia Gucci. I listened to both of these books for free and borrowed the ebooks from Libby and Hoopla. 
If you have a library card, you too can access these books for free. Funny enough, just as I was wrapping up the two books, Alessandra Gucci released a book titled Game Over about the aftermath of the murder of her father, Mauricio Gucci. Again, that session of Gucci's history will be discussed next week. Both of these books start off very slow, but if you're interested in design, history, retail, marketing, etc., these books are very good reads. I will probably read Game Over at some point because there's always something more to the mess. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the history of Gucci and how it led to the downfall of the Gucci family dynasty. Just a heads up, in this episode, I'm going to refer to members of the Gucci family with just their first name. And if I say Gucci, I mean the company or brand. In 1921, at the age of 40, Guccio Gucci founded Gucci. For some reason, I really like the sound of Guccio Gucci, and that's not even his whole name. He was born Guccio Giovanni Battista Jacinto Dario Maria Gucci. Guccio was not a novice to the leather business. On March 26, 1881, in Florence, Tuscany, he was born to Gabriello Gucci and Elena Santini, who are both from the Tuscany region, which is located in central Italy. His father was a leather craftsman, which probably set the course of his future business endeavors. But Guccio apparently had some sort of fascination with England. He traveled to London as a teenager, I would assume to find work, and found what he was looking for at a luxury hotel located centrally to the city called the Savoy in 1889, which is also the year the hotel opened its doors. Apparently, there were other Italian young men working at the hotel, so maybe Guccio was recommended by a friend. Later on, with famous musicians performing and staying at the hotel, it became known as London's most famous hotel. He worked as a porter at the Savoy, and there, while lugging the leather trunks of the wealthy guests, he became inspired by the luggage made by companies such as H.A. Caves and Sons. It is believed that Harriet Jane Cave is the first designer of the modern leather handbag. Guccio went back home to Florence, taking the inspiration with him, but not using it quite yet. In 1901, he married his wife, Ada Calvelli, and adopted her son from a previous relationship, Hugo. They had five additional children together that included four sons. One son, Enzo, passed away in childhood, and they also had a daughter. In addition to Hugo, there was Aldo, Grimalda, Bosco, and Rodolfo. Back in Florence, Guccio worked for a Belgian-owned steam train company before he was sent off to World War I in 1915, where the now 34-year-old worked as a driver for the Army Transportation Unit. Following the war, he worked as an apprentice at a leather goods manufacturing company in Milan called Franci. He worked his way up to being a manager, but his wife, Ada, was tired of him commuting, but she didn't want to uproot her family from her hometown of Florence. Ada didn't want Guccio to give up his dreams and instead convinced him to open up his own leather goods shop. By 1921, Guccio founded Gucci. Before Gucci became the powerhouse designer brand currently held by creative director Alessandro Michele, it was a small-scale, family-owned company operating out of a shop Guccio and Ada purchased in Florence. He took all of his observations of his time at the Savoy of what the wealthy and elite enjoyed when it came to fashion, taking notes on things like fabrication and quality and using that in the design and production of luggage and other travel accessories. He eventually went into making horseman accessories such as saddles and leather bags. His work became well-known and drew in British aristocrats by the way of word-of-mouth and newspaper advertisements. The company focused on durability and quality. Patricia mentioned this in the name of Gucci that her father, Guccio, would jump up and down on the suitcases he produced to prove its durability. 
He also opened a workshop to repair damages caused by traveling. By the time G. Gucci and company opened, most of Gucci's children were teenagers and they assisted in the shop operations. Aldo and Bosco were bicycle delivery boys on the weekends while his daughter, Grimalda, handled the cash register. Rodolfo was too young to be of help and his dream was not to work for the family business. Gucci wanted his children, Ashley, just his sons, to be as devoted to the business as he was to it so it could reach higher success. Gucci raised his sons to have a competitive spirit amongst each other, and it seems that one son had an edge. After this quick break, we are going to dive into Gucci's oldest son, Aldo. No longer the 14-year-old from the time of the inception of Gucci, in 1925, Aldo was 20 years old and working for Gucci full-time. Aldo proved to be well-versed in the business and products and soon became the first Gucci salesperson. Not long after, he met and married his wife, Alwyn Price, a former dressmaker in 1927. She was actually three months pregnant at the time of their marriage, and the marriage came about after Princess Elizabeth, no, not that one, Elizabeth of Bavaria, Queen of the Belgians, stopped by the Gucci shop to let Gucci know she was upset with his son for getting her lady's maid, Alwyn, pregnant. She went on to have three sons, Giorgio in 1928, Paolo in 1931, and Roberto in 1932. During this time, Italy was powered by Prime Minister Benito Mussolini, going through the Great Depression and headed towards World War II. Despite all of this, Guccio and his sons were focused on pushing the business forward, but Mussolini almost put an end to that with his ordered invasion of Abyssinia, known today as Ethiopia. The League of Nations placed sanctions on Italy, which led to a trade blockade and ultimately a leather shortage. At this time, a lot of Gucci's leather was coming from Germany. On somewhat of a bright side, this began to set the tone for the Gucci that is loved and recognized today. Aldo cleverly sourced calfskin hides of a higher grade from an area on the outskirts of Florence. These hides were a lot more expensive than the ones they previously used, so Aldo sourced additional fabrics like linen and hemp to be worked in with the leather. This combination with the Rombi Gucci design became Gucci's most successful suitcase. In case you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the tan or light brown color canvas that has a print overlay and a kind of a diagonal geometric pattern. This base was paired with a leather trim. Eventually, the double G's interlocking logo that directly references Gucci Gucci that was designed by Aldo in 1933 were included with this fabric combination. If you're wondering about the other brothers, Bosco was put in charge of the factory and Rodolfo took on the stage name of Mauricio de Ancora to pursue his dream of being an actor. Aldo stayed connected to the business operations and fought with Gucci on expanding the business. I can definitely see why Gucci was hesitant to do so. But after some time, Aldo finally convinced his father to open the first Gucci shop in Rome in 1938, which was the first one outside of Florence. Aldo moved his wife and three sons to the city to live in an apartment above the shop. The shop opened on September 1st, 1938, and exactly one year later, World War II broke out. It first appeared that Gucci was right in not wanting the second store to open, but Gucci was able to score a contract making boots for the Italian army. Aldo was able to avoid being drafted for the war because Mussolini wanted businesses and the country's capital to continue operating, and he was working in Rome at this point. Unfortunately for his brothers still living in Florence, that was not the case for them, so they were drafted. After the war was over, American soldiers in Rome spent their money at the Gucci store. Aldo became to produce more accessories like belts and gloves. 
These are accessories that you use on the daily and that are easy to wear, use, or travel with. He did this to boost international recognition of the brand, and it was not a bad move. Aldo's children were old enough to understand what Gucci was, and he decided to continue the competitive streak his father instilled in him and his brothers to his own sons. Leather was still not widely available after the end of the war, and in 1947, my personal favorite Gucci bag was created, the bamboo bag. The bag has a leather base that's rounded with a bamboo handle. The bag was a hit. It was featured in a movie and the Gucci brand became popular among European royalty and Hollywood stars. With all the exciting success, Gucci gave three of his sons, excluding Ugo, directorships and an equal amount of shares. The company grew and took on the impressive tagline, quality is remembered long after the price is forgotten. Bosco stayed in charge of the factories, including an additional one. Rodolfo was put in charge of the new store they opened in Milan in 1951, hoping to use his status in the film industry to bring in customers. 1951 is also the year that the green and red webbing became a huge signifier of the brand. The following year in 1952, the iconic Gucci loafers came into existence. The horsebit loafers were inspired by Aldo's love for an equestrian lifestyle. The next year in 1953, Gucci Gucci passed away after suffering a heart attack. Later that year in November, Gucci opened his first store in the United States. This was a goal of Aldo's for some time, and he really wanted to capitalize off of the American soldiers that brought back their love for Gucci to the United States. Gucci's daughter, Grimalda, received no part of Gucci in her father's will, despite the fact that she and her husband saved the business from closing years earlier. She went to court, but it did not work out in her favor, and this was just the start of the legal battles between the Gucci family. Aldo definitely got involved in a crime that I will mention in NetSuite's episode, but in this episode, I wanted to talk about the crimes he committed in his personal life that was told by his daughter, Patricia Gucci, in her book, In the Name of Gucci. This book is described by Patricia as a love story between her parents, but in my opinion, it is not a love story at all. In 1956, a 19-year-old Bruno Palumbo walked into the Gucci store located in Rome to seek a job at the recommendation of her fiancé's brother-in-law. She met Aldo Gucci, who by this time was 51 years old. Aldo was known to be a very mean boss, but was more gentle with Bruno. As I mentioned, Bruno was engaged at the time to a man named Pietro. This, however, did not stop the much older Aldo from flirting with Bruna, and one day while she was working, he decided to stroke her cheek. Aldo was still married to Alwyn, but according to Patricia, they were in a loveless marriage. Keep in mind, adultery was illegal and carried a prison sentence in Italy at this time. In 1958, Aldo told Bruna that she would be replacing his secretary who was leaving to get married. Bruna and her fiancé had a turbulent relationship, and sometimes she would not wear her ring if things were bad. Aldo took note of this. He began to leave presents on her desk like perfume, silk scarves, and cashmere sweaters. At some point, Bruna and Aldo accidentally bumped into each other, and Aldo, 32 years her senior, took her by the arms and kissed her on the mouth. Bruna ran to the bathroom and wondered whether or not she would get fired for not kissing him back. Does this sound like a love story to you? It doesn't to me. This was 1958 in a different time, but in the year of 2022, we would definitely see this as sexual assault. And I honestly get vibes that Aldo may have been grooming Bruna, seeing as she did not have a completely stable relationship with her family or her fiance. 
This was not Aldo's first round of infidelity, and somehow he was able to conceal this from many people. A month later, he left a note for Bruna to meet him in the neighborhood of his bachelor pad, and she got into his car where he kissed her again, and she had to stop herself from crying. She also demanded that he take her home. Bruna was unable to sleep afterwards, and she lost weight. Aldo began writing her love notes and calling her, trying to convince her to break off her engagement. Her fiancé almost caught on to what was going on, and he demanded that they set a wedding date in October of 1958, around her 21st birthday. Bruna's brother actually did catch on to her cheating with Aldo and assaulted her. Aldo had a conversation with him, and her brother left her alone. As you can imagine, the wedding never came about. A few days after Bruna's birthday, Aldo invited her over to his apartment, and the direct quote is that he said he pickled a rose without thorns. A month later, Bruna realized she was pregnant, but it sadly ended in a miscarriage. She became pregnant again in 1962, and the following year, she gave birth to a daughter named Patricia at 26 years old with a 58-year-old Aldo. Divorce was not an option in Italy. It did not become legal until 1974. Aldo's infidelity and love for America played a huge role in the future of Gucci. Patricia also has some not-so-good alleged stories herself, but since they don't have a direct impact or involvement with the Gucci brand, I decided to leave it out. Now that I read this book and understand how she sees her parents' relationship, the headlines and articles I read about her, to me, shows that she has some things to work through. Ultimately, I hope that her children are safe and getting the help that they need. I'll put a link in the notes if you want information on that. There is so much blame that goes around when it comes to who was the catalyst for the downfall of Gucci. But after reading this book, I honestly think Aldo had more to do with it than everyone leads on. And I will explain that in next week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to Most Fashionable Crime. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There will not be a YouTube video this week, but there will be one next week to cover both parts of House of Gucci. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and leave a five-star rating if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. All of my sources are linked in the notes. In case you're wondering, this podcast was written, recorded, produced, and edited by me, Taryn. All the music you heard in the episode is from Epidemic Sound.